Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs for good times, the best times. You can't go wrong. We'll two step, a new step. It won't be long. When the Dixieland is up playing, soon you'll be swaying. So come on, sing along. Hello and welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsey Laurie, and this week we will be talking about the infamous criminals, Bonnie and Clyde. Hi friends, the world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. If you like music and you like podcasts and you like to laugh and you like to learn, you need to immediately subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we dive deep into the story and back catalog of a one-hit wonder band or artist. From there, we have a good, healthy discussion as to whether they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit wonder. We have a huge back catalog, and we've done episodes on everything from Don't Worry, Be Happy and the Macarena to King of Wishful Thinking and Cumbersome. I promise you're going to love the show more than Jaquan loved getting tipsy and even more than Bobby Boris Pickett loved making alternate versions of the Monster Match. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your podcasts. So, Gelsey. Yes. We got a couple. Th- th- this was a weird one. So we we stumbled into realizing that we have an anniversary of the movie Bonnie and Clyde mm-hmm. on the horizon. Very important movie. It's it's I believe it's that movie and Easy Rider, kind of the two big ones that are cited for like the starting of the MPAA rating systems all over again. But also 
you know, do we want to talk about this movie, which is a great movie, or do we want to get even more historical and just talk about the real life Bonnie and Clyde? Because as much as we love this movie, not exactly the most historically accurate film that's ever been produced. <laughs> it is not. And so we are actually going to dive into the historical real figures of Bonnie and Clyde. Because if you said we were doing the movies, I was going to cry because I have about like six pages here just of crazy in-depth notes. No, and I'd no, be no, like, no, I no. hate you, Matt. No. no, let's talk about Bonnie and Clyde. You did all this research. And I know basically the movie and not much else about Bonnie and Clyde. So I think awesome. I think you're going to teach me some stuff today. Oh, good. I like a good teaching moment. All right. We got Bonnie and Clyde. Most of you might know, some of you might not know, they were a very notorious crime criminal couple in the early 1930s. Bonnie was really famous for her cute little beret she wore, got that in fashion and style and their Tommy guns kind of, you know, I think most people think of them as like the, the typical late 20s to 30s gangsters that robbed banks. And that is not necessarily true. They did rob banks, but very few. They mainly robbed gas stations, small shops, and individual people. And that's, you know, it wasn't, it was kind of, that's the glorified movie version is like, put them off, put your hands up kind of a thing. So anyways, Bonnie Parker was born 1910 in Rowena, Texas. So her background is kind of a, a shaky one, which no surprise there. Um, her father died when she was four years old, and she married a man named Roy Thornton six days before her 16th birthday in 1926. She never actually divorced this man, and when she died, spoiler alert, she dies, with Clyde, <laughs> she still was wearing Roy Thornton's wedding ring. But they split in 1929, and she never saw him again. They just never divorced. He kind of she, – she married him for uh, stability, and he went into a life of crime. And she was like, bye. So, which is ironic. So, so she, she could go into a life. So she goes in, and goes into crime herself. Exactly. That's how it works. You know, they didn't have therapy back then. So it didn't work for the things. Um, if, what would the world be like if Bonnie and Clyde went to therapy? Can I ask you a question while you're building this up? Because this is a big thing that I'm curious about out the gate. Let's go. In your opinion, I feel yes. like Bonnie and Clyde have become these idolized anti-hero folk folk people people will think of bonnie and clyde the same way they think of like the joker and harley quinn or like Mm -hmm. uh you know a morticia and gomez adams like a very Mm -hmm. morbid morbid version of of pure love in your research and what you're about to teach us do you think that you are going to further drive that narrative or absolutely destroy that narrative or somewhere in the middle somewhere in the middle (laughs) okay The love you can't deny. I mean, they were till the end next to each other and did it all the way through. And so, yes, but I think like any criminal that we romanticize in general, you know, we can look back and their crimes are way worse than we think about the the mobsters. There's some kind of romantic notion to them because they are back in history. But when you dive into like really what was going on, you're like, fuck them. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it's (laughs) that's kind of what I think they killed a lot of people and wreaked havoc so it's like fuck them yeah exactly Um, okay that's what i was that's what i was expecting (laughs) yeah interestingly enough at the time and i will get into this later but even during their run while they were out on the run the public they were celebrities and the public idolized them and romanticized them even as they were out doing the crimes of act and it wasn't until one of the crimes and they kind of got publicized in a certain way with one of the murders that then the public started to turn and be like oh wait a minute so did um, people know what they looked like like oh yeah like we're, we're so oh, yeah 
So like they could walk down the street and people be like, yay, Bonnie and Clyde. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that did happen a few times. Like depending on where they were at, because they were in more rural, rural. I can't say, never can say that word. Rural. The rural, rural. rural. That's like that's like one of those, like put grapes in your mouth and say it 10 times. And now I'm Eliza Doolittle. Rural, rural. Okay. Anyways, I'll get into that. Yeah. But um, Clyde Barrow was born in 1909. So he's a year older than Bonnie. Um, and he was born in Eli's country, Texas. He was raised like in the slums. Him and his family were in a wagon and lived under the wagon until they could afford a tent. And then they moved into a tent. So they are poverty of poverty. Mm-hmm. And he immediately kind of went into a life of petty theft, petty crime, just because, you know, you can't blame the kid. Yeah. You got, boys got to eat. Uh, him and Aladdin, you know? Yeah. Riff, um, rat, street rat. Exactly. <laughs> I think I can't afford I steal. That's everything. Okay. So he was in and out of jail from age 17. Don't laugh at me, Matt. He was sent to prison by age 21. He had already at this point, I'm kind of going to timeline bounce around, but he had already met Bonnie at this point, like just met Bonnie. And then he gets sent to prison. His first time he got sent to jail was actually for not um, returning a rental car. (laughs) So got to get to that hurts, (laughs) get that car back. (laughs) You'll go like Clyde. And, but he was sent to prison in 1930 at the age of 21. And one of his fellow inmates said he saw him go from a schoolboy into a rattlesnake. Like that's really where that shift happened for Clyde, where he was a little more innocent and kind of nice, but he was sexually assaulted in prison. It got so bad that he snapped and he killed his tormentor with a pipe, metal pipe that he had snuck in. And that was his first murder. And that's, I mean, you know, we very much try to not get political on this podcast, but I mean, that is a big reason why people are pushing back against maybe we shouldn't put people for petty crimes in bad totally. jails because you're not teaching them the evils of smoking weed. You're teaching them how, yeah. how to be and a well, worse you know, at person least I'm, I'm not going to yeah. dive into like our criminal system and the yeah. prison system and blah, 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 because also I'm not very educated on what's no, no. going on exactly now. I, so I, I don't feel proper to talk about it, but I will say that I think there is more of a push and inclined way to the attempt is to better and teach and rehab. Yeah. As opposed to just show there's actually therapy. There might be yoga. Well, at this point, you know, this is 1930. The whole point of the prison system literally was to break a man. Like they would put them to, to the hardest labor. They, they just wanted to break them down. He kills his tormentor in prison. Luckily, another inmate that was in for life took the blame. So got to make friends on the inside. Yeah. I thought that was kind of oddly cool of that person, even though he got away with murder. I was like, oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Get this, to avoid hard labor, because it was like really bad. And he's like, I'm not going out in those fields in the sun and doing this. He cut off his own big toe and part of his second toe so that he wouldn't have to do that. And then fucking six days later, his mom comes and is like, I got you on parole. You're released. Oh, no. And so for the rest of his life, Clyde walks with a limp. <laughs> Man, if Alanis Morissette could rewrite her ironic song, <laughs> she'd be like, it's like Clyde cutting off his big toe, then getting out of prison six days later, yo. Yeah, Look at that. That is. I just weird out the fuck out of that weird song. out the shit out of that. Man. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking I mean, of, we haven't even gotten to like I've just gotten like Bonnie and Clyde born and I'm no, already going off on tangents. This is insane, but I think of there's a Garfield comic that I think about all the time. Mm-hmm. Garfield walks past John with a television set and a hammer and nails, and then he hears the sound of hammering, and then John walks into Garf- Garfield's little bed area and he's laying on the bed, but he's nailed the television to the ceiling, and he says, "You put in an exceptional amount of work to be that lazy." 
And that's kind of how I'm feeling right now about Clyde. Like, you know how much work and and toughness, like, like he's definitely not on any painkillers. Like, not only are you like doing this in 1930, where you you might die cutting off? How bad was the labor to cut off your own? Obviously, pretty bad, Matt. Like, it's pretty bad. God, I'm one of those people that it's like, oh my god, if you have to amputate any body part, just kill me. Like, I, like, I can't. right? No, it's like, <laughs> like those films when they show you in like the oldie times of days where they're like, we're gonna do this medical thing. And they're like, here, bite down on this leather strap. I'm like, just, are you? J-? Yeah, like, just that's where I'm like, scissors. I love living alive now. I'm like, thank God we have drugs. Drug the shit out of me. I get a cavity, and I'm like, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, give me the strongest stuff you what have. What do you got? And they're yeah. like, this is a flu shot. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets out on parole. So he's, out on he's parole. got his limp. So I'm gonna he's got his gal. He's got his gal. He's there. So I'm going to backtrack slightly right before he goes into prison. Um, is it the first meeting? January 5th, 1930. Whoops. Bonnie is 19. Clyde's 20. And they meet. They meet at a friend's house, kind of a mutual. Um, Bonnie was staying with a friend who was a woman who I think had like broke her arm and she was there helping nurse, nurse her while she found work. They immediately are smitten with each other and fall in love. So they join together in 1932. Once he gets out of prison, they begin robberies, mainly, like I said, stores, gas station. Um, Bonnie even gets caught and serves a few months in jail, which she spends her time. Did get this? She's a poet. Bonnie wow. writes poetry. Yeah. And this is actually something that got them on the map and kind of made them famous was her poetry that was found at one point while they were on the run. They actually kind of form a posse, a gang. So they were known as the Barrow Gang, which is Clyde's last name. Um, a lot of people we think of just Bonnie and Clyde, but it was a whole, a whole gang. See? Yeah. August 5th, uh, Clyde, there was a man named Raymond Hamilton and Ross Dyer, who were Clyde's friends, were drinking moonshine at a dance in Oklahoma, as one does. Mm-hmm. And Sheriff C.J. Maxwell and Deputy Eugene Moore approach them because um, they're obviously and also, ladies and gentlemen, this is during Prohibition. No drinky drinks. So a lot of bootlegging going on. And so that's um, but they approach them and Clyde and Raymond open fire, killing the sheriff and wounding the deputy. This is the first law officer that the gang killed. Um, in total, they killed nine. So this is their first shoot down with the law. And they're like, oh, that feels good. I'm yeah. guessing because they kept fucking doing it. <laughs> so 1933, Buck, who's Clyde's brother and his wife Blanche, joined the gang. Um, also at some point, W.D. Jones, who's a childhood friend of Clyde, joins the gang in 1932. So that's like their main their main posse is Jones, Buck and his wife Blanche, and then Bonnie and Clyde. They were once in – all of them were together playing um, – I forget where they were. Oh, in Joplin, Joplin, Missouri. They're in a quiet neighborhood in a house. And they're playing loud card games. There's alcohol. Again, it's prohibition. There's a lot of hooligans, people in and out. And so they were reported to the cops for suspicious behavior. And the Joplin Police Department goes thinking it's bootleggers. They're like, haha, we got somebody. Five officers go. The Barrow Brothers and Jones open fire. They kill Detective Harry L. McGinnis. McGinnis and fatally wound constable J.W. Harriman. Are you getting this, everybody? We're having yeah. a pop quiz at the end. I'm just throwing up <laughs> names. You all are like, we don't care. More police officers die. There we go. They do get away. I love this. Blanche, actually, they all managed to get in their cop cars. I think that's the one. There is a bullet that grazes 
um, Clyde, but it bounced like ricochets off a button. So keep those shirts buttoned. Could save your life. Blanche <laughs> runs off because her dog Snowball runs away. And she's like, Snowball. So she goes off. The gang gets in the car, runs off. They find Blanche, pick her up. Snowball's fucked. They don't find the dog. But I just like this. There was like an eyewitness of that. And I love this whole like fire out shooting. And then this like, I imagine this tiny little white dog like running off. Yeah, just and yapping its way. The woman's <laughs> like just ignoring the fact that everyone, her husband, they're all in crossfire. And she's like, my dog. It's like a Mr. Magoo sketch. <laughs> <laughs> you literally like that's what i love about going into history and then being such a big fanatic of cartoons and entertainment and whatnot you read things that actually happen and you're like oh i get where this material yeah, came from I get, I get where these like this is all real yeah that's so funny i mean it's not but, um, funny people died but <laughs> like, we, it's been long enough i have a rule like if it's over i was gonna say 40 decades if it's before my time i'm allowed to laugh a little i think that's fair there we go if it's if it happened before my if time most of the victims are no longer with us i think it's okay then i'm gonna baha a little bit and yeah. take the piss out of it because again coping with humor it's super healthy i don't know if it is <laughs> you know you could be Bonnie and Clyding it out there to cope with I your could be issues. Bonnie. It's either so. you laugh or you Bonnie and fuck the Clyde out of your shit. So <laughs> yeah. I think my therapist is happy to hear that I'm laughing. Yes. Um. Yeah. So they they get away. They fuck the dog. Get Blanche. And but because they have to get away so fast, they leave away all their possessions. And when the cops go in and find there's a bunch of guns, blah blah blah, they find a poem by Bonnie and undeveloped film left. So Bonnie was a huge romantic of it herself. She loved. Um, the film stars of that time, she would write stories and, and write herself in as the star and, and whatnot. And um, they did develop the film and the most notorious famous photos of Bonnie and Clyde were these photos that they found. And Bonnie had, they kind of set up the camera and I guess it's like a oldie timesy selfie maybe. Um, maybe Blanche took it. I don't know. Yeah, she I was going to say, or someone took it for them. <laughs> she's she's dicking around with Snowball at this point. Um, so maybe uh, it was her husband. But anyways, um, there's a really famous photo of Bonnie pointing a gun at Clyde. It's a black mm-hmm. and white. I know if I showed you, I'll, I'll put them on the Facebook yeah, group. I, know the I feel photo. like I say that a lot and then I don't put dick on the Facebook group. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Just I got our like, Instagram. You, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I do post a little bit there. But okay, anyways. So the most famous pictures you've ever seen of Bonnie and Clyde is Bonnie pointing a gun at Clyde and this was like to help the story or whatever they were just playing pretend and then there's the most famous picture of of Bonnie with a cigarette a cigar in her mouth holding a pistol and she never smoked cigars actually that was just for the photo but those pics were sent to the press because at that time you know it was like stop the presses extra extra um so the borrow gang is front page news across the nation and it blows up people um saw a strong woman they saw a woman you know smoking a cigar taking life into her own hands And it put much of the public in awe. You know, this is a time that, don't forget folks, we're in the Great Depression. And so Uncle Sam is, in their eyes, fucking over the poor. And no one can get help, this, that. And so it's like, they were all from a region that was known as the Dust Bowl. And that's because these massive dust storms at that time would happen in this area and cause drought, dead cattle, failed crops. And so the rural rural folks, damn it, I hate that word. Why would I put it twice in one podcast? They were desperate. And so it's like, that's where they come from, those people. So it was kind of this almost like Robin Hood story that these people were seeing, that they're like, they're taking what they deserve. And people, I don't think, realize that they were actually going off 
after civilians sometimes too, but they would take hostages and sometimes release them and give them money to, to get back home if they like took their car. And then sometimes they'd be like, you're in my way, boom, dead. But there was a poem they found with these photos that she wrote called The Story of Suicide Sal. And it was in the press. And this is how the first refrain goes. <clears throat> I left my old home for the city to play in its mad, dizzy world, not knowing how little of pity it holds for a country girl. I mean, snaps for Bonnie. Yeah. That was a good little poet poem there. So she, you know, they're they're writing this kind of narrative and that's what the public takes in. And they are totally romanticizing the crime and everything. You know, it's not only do they see that they're taking their lives into their own hands, turning away from Uncle Sam, but then also kind of this love story gets put on display where people think it's like, God, even through all this, they're sticking together. And as Rihanna would say, they found love in a hopeless place. So <laughs> I... You know, that's a bop. I love that song. Um, <laughs> you know, it's about Bonnie and Clyde. We found love in a hopeless place. In the Dust Bowl. Hey, found love in a hopeless place. No big toes. I did not expect gonna... the Bonnie and Clyde episode to be our most musical in a while. But I didn't here, either. Here it it's just coming to me. You know what? It's one of those days, Matt. And yes. So, Rihanna, where were we? <laughs> Is that in your notes? <laughs> that's, like, where no. is Rihanna in my notes? Where's Rihanna? Um... <laughs> No, I'm just trying to, yeah, it says most jobs. Um, they, even though I said, you know, it's, they, they were on the run. They were just robbing left and right, getaway cars here and there. If someone got in their way, they're going to shoot them dead. Even though sometimes they let people go, but it, you're mostly going to be dead. Um, they always got away when they were pursued by the police though. And their getaway car was a Ford V8, which had way more horsepower than all the police cars. So they always had their, you know, I bet now it would be like 20 miles per hour. It's all, oh yeah. Rrr. Yeah. It's probably good. <laughs> Actually, I think, I think in one sighting, it said they were going 70. So those, Holy they shit. Did, I know. Good for you. Ford V8 should have had a V8. Come <laughs> on. Um, what a dope ass car though. And they stole a lot of weapons from the National Guard armories, so they kind of always just had weapons. Clyde's favorite was the Browning automatic rifle, if you wanted to know that. And let's see. Okay, so this is funsy. One day, they're like in their little getaway car, and they're going, and they he misses like an obstruction and end up getting into a really bad car wreck. And everyone gets injured, but Bonnie gets like fucked. She surf suffers the worst third degree burns on her legs so bad that her bone was showing. Ugh. So yeah, I know. I was like, God. So then you get, this is fun. She walks for the rest of her life with a limp. So they're just Aww, two they're little limping lovers. Little twins. <laughs> two little limping lovers. Come on now. So they say opposites attract. Not in this case. Mm-mm. But they had to um, – they had to obviously get away, like, immediately. So they escaped into a farmhouse. Um, Bonnie's going through it. She's like, I'm in agony because, duh, like we already said, no drugs. Yeah. And they – so they're like, we need to get her provisions and medicine. So they kidnap a sheriff and marshal um, to try to do that. Doesn't go as planned. The marshal gets killed. They have to flee again, and they go to the Red Town Cavern in Platte City, Missouri. So she's still like, ow, my leg. And they're like, let's get away. They they stay there. They get beer, food. They're nursing Bonnie, and um, they would go out for meds. And the drugstore owner as as far and the, the cavern owner, they both reported them because I think with the cavern owner, they said like two people checked in technically to the reservation, and then they saw like five walk in. And Bonnie and Clyde are already kind of known. The pictures are out in the press. And so they'd use the Bonnie rest of the has gang. like a wounded leg and they're like, yeah. something doesn't seem right. And then they had been by other states kind of warned, like if people are out on the look for certain, you know, for meds, this, like that's the supplies they're going to be going for. So the drugstore owner called the cops and was like, mm, 
I think Bonnie and Clyde are here. But their daily lives got more and more difficult. Like years later when Blanche got captured in reports, she said, you know, she was like, it was not an easy time. And it wasn't as, obviously it's not glamorous. You're always on the run, but they couldn't stay. It couldn't go to restaurants, couldn't go to hotels. Partly there was a phase of the celebrity, but then also they're like wanted. So you yeah. can't just be like, hi. Um, so they spent a lot more time like camping out, cooking over fires. They'd have to bathe in streams. And like you're talking to someone that's like camping. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. I will take the hotel and restaurant for 300. Thank you. So they end up doing camping in Dexfield Park, which is an abandoned amusement park near Dexter, Iowa, on July 24th. Their last getaway that brought them here, um, Buck got shot in the head and ricocheted like off his bone. So didn't kill him surprisingly, but he's got a brain injury. No shit. And let me tell you about brain injuries, Matt. No, I'm not. (laughs) For all of you who don't know, I suffered really bad concussions in my life and fuck that. Um, Just check out all of her previous appearances on other podcasts that I've produced if you want full breakdowns of that. Yeah, I do go into my concussion recovery zone. Check them out. Um, Side note, there are literally some episodes of this podcast, like almost a year ago that we recorded, which is crazy, a year ago. And some of them, I'm like, I don't remember yeah. recording that because I was like, uh-oh, but good for me for pulling it together. Anyways, so locals noticed bloody bandages and they're like, we suspect the Barrow gang. And they were right. What does that say? <laughs> so this is funny. When I was doing some of these notes, I was getting a pedicure and I was in the massage chair. So I was writing <laughs> I scribbles. I was like, this is a bad idea. The glamorous life of Gelsey. <laughs> God. <laughs> Called authority. Oh, they called the authority. They suspected the gang and they called the authority. Duh. Oh, the stuff that I keep in. (laughs) I know. I'm like, fuck you. Okay. At this, the authority comes and they're at this amusement park. park. So Bonnie, Clyde, and Jones escape. Buck gets shot in the back and him and Blanche get captured. I don't know what the fuck Blanche is doing. Like, she doesn't have a dog to chase off of. She needs to get her shit together. Like, they should have dropped her cities ago because obviously this bitch is a problem. I was going to say, Blanche is clearly the Kenny of this South Park gang. (laughs) Seriously. And like, like, with a name like Blanche, like, you know, you're like, oh, and we got to bring Blanche because she's married to Buck. Like, (laughs) Blanche is keeping us up again. Like, gosh, come on, Blanche, get your shit together and get in the gang. But um, Buck gets shot in the back and still doesn't die. Dude, Buck is this should be the story about Buck. I know. I was like, fuck Buck. Like, damn. And he dies from a head injury. He goes to the hospital to go into surgery for the back shoot, which always cracks me up that like, they're like, we got you, shoot you. And they're like, "Uh oh, let's get him to the hospital. I'm like, aren't you trying to kill him? At this point, they weren't. I don't think because. It, it's not until a bit later that they're like, we don't care how you get Bonnie and Clyde, shoot the fuckers. Um, but anyways, Buck dies in the hospital from his head injury and pneumonia, and Blanche gets taken away because she deserves it. Uh, run faster. Like, the bitches with the limps got away and Blanche didn't. I don't understand that. Like, I didn't dive deep enough to figure out exactly what she was doing, but I was like, Bonnie and Clyde are limping and they got away. So the next six weeks, um, they went off of normal territory. Like they kind of would always stay in the same planes. They're both from Texas. So that started getting a little more iffy to go back to the Dallas area because they were expected there. Um, So they go to Colorado, Minnesota, and Mississippi, continue to rob. And Bonnie and Clyde risk a a visit to Dallas next to see some family. And they were – the police were expecting that. And so I I think they got one of their family members to like stand out and – 
join in on an ambush and be like, we're here. And as they drove by, they sensed an ambush and didn't stop. They opened fire on them as they drove by and both of their legs got brushed with bullets, but they were fine. I was like, I hope it was the bad legs. They're not like double limping. I don't know. (laughs) The amount that they have all gotten shot is actually pretty impressive. I'm, I'm a little impressed. So where are we going? Okay, so January 16th, 1934, Clyde orchestrates a breakout from East Ham Prison. That's almost one of the reasons it has been cited, like, in the beginning that he even wanted to start robbing robbing and stuff. Like, his whole goal was to go back and get some of his friends and people out of that prison and be like, fuck that. So they do do that. There's an escape. I believe five inmates get out. And this attracts the full power of Texas and the federal government. And the manhunt for Bonnie and Clyde, like, seriously begins. Then comes in former Texas Ranger Captain Frank Hammer. He was persuaded to come out of retirement to hunt them and become a Texas Highway Patrol. And there's an awesome movie on Netflix called The Highwaymen. I was going to mention this later because it's I, about yeah. him. It's it's really you know it's Woody Harrelson. Um, is it? It's it's really interesting and it really goes like the next couple just little like bullet points I'm going to give you. It dives really deep into how what he went through to catch Bonnie and Clyde and. Really good movie. So, would you say that that one is more historically accurate than the yes. titular Bonnie, than Bonnie and Clyde? Yes, yeah. yeah, and it is much more historically accurate. So, this guy is is a tough ass and kind of known for doing things his way. He will kill and doesn't care. He's like, I will get them. He's credited fifty three kills and has suffered seventeen wounds himself. Again, like everything I read, I was just like, everyone has gotten shot. So yeah. many. It just goes back into. I was like seventeen. He's been shot 17 times. Bullets are just ricocheting off of them. Meanwhile, like... And I'm like, one time I got a really bad bruise from doing aerial in the circus. Like, shut up, gals. You didn't get shot. (laughs) Now I feel like I need to go out and get shot. Watch what you wish for. I'm knocking on wood, ladies and gentlemen. Please do not shoot Yeah, let's not make those wishes. Let's not. I was just kidding. Universe. Yeah, let's not put that (laughs) in the universe. I love you too much. So he li- initially, like, lives in his car and stalks Bonnie and Clyde. He can never get enough and close enough to get them you know he doesn't have enough manpower himself but he's trying to figure out their patterns and how he's gonna get them and easter sunday april 1st 1934 which by the way i was like whoa easter april 1st that oh i guess we've had a couple easters land in march that seems so early for easter i just remember as a kid easter was always like the third sunday i was like april 1st yeah no it's it it has i forget it you Why? think that someone who works at a church would know more of how we determine Easter, but I think it's like it's based on some random it's like X amount of weeks after this specific date and like depending on like all of it. I, I don't know. I, I don't oh, know. Okay. I'm speaking out my ass. Okay, side note, little anecdotal Gelsey thing. Um was raised Jewish and I'm non practicing Jew now, but um doesn't matter. And but we celebrated Christmas and Easter because my mom was like, No, my kids are getting this. I was, God, how old was I when I found out that Easter was a religious holiday? I was like, wait, this is about what? Who, what? I had no idea. It's about chocolates. I thought it was just Easter. The simplest standard definition of Easter is that it is the first Sunday after the full moon that occurs on or after the spring equinox. Oh, that's right. Because it's it's a solstice. Yeah, it was that first. So it makes sense that maybe it would kind of like... Go yeah. Around. So if so if We're the first moon cycles moon, with Easter, yeah, I was so not expecting that. I didn't some either. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's some wild They're shit. Like, What's your star sign? Happy Leo season, everybody. We're we're gonna go back to these highwaymen. <laughs> Who cares what Easter is? <laughs> this is not about Easter. Um, so they are in Grapevine, Texas, in the Highway Patrol. There's H. D. Murphy and Edward Bryant. 
they see a car stopped on the side of the road and they stop with their motorbikes to be like, what's going on here? And they're killed roadside because it was like, oh, it's the Barrow gang, at least the three remaining um, people. And these are considered the grapevine murders. And these are the murders that get put into the press that kind of turn the public opinion against Bonnie and Clyde, where they're like, you killed our beloved H.G. Murphy and Edward Bryant. How dare you? I don't know why Like this is the one that gets it. but How they, dare you? Yeah, they exaggerate this murder a lot in the press. And this is the first time that it's cited that there was a witness that they're like, Bonnie pulled the trigger. And now the press, um, you know, people didn't necessarily <sighs> think that she was doing the killings. Yeah. Yeah. So then it was like, she's killing. And all of a sudden from this like tough ass holding a gun who they all praised. Now it's like, Ooh, these are not good people. So he's still, they're still on the run. There's like a huge bounty on both of them. I think there was a higher bounty on Bonnie actually, because she was thought to have killed uh, one of those guys. So um, they keep tracking the route. There's a tip that they are planning to visit Bienville parish in Louisiana. So on May 21st, an ambush is set along the Louisiana state highway on the 154. They're in place by 9 p.m. and they wait the whole next day. Everyone's like, what's going on? He's like, trust me, I have a hunch. And approximately at 9.15 a.m. May 23rd, the Ford V8 drove by and slowed for a truck that they placed on the side of the highway, which was placed there on purpose as a lull to get them in. I'm really good with words. You know, they probably slowed down because they're like, ooh, someone to rob. And six lawmen opened fire. They never stopped fully because then they were like, oh, shit. Clyde gets shot in the head almost immediately and dies. Um, they fire 130 rounds. 112 of those bullets go into the car. Clyde had 12 wounds. No, sorry, 17 wounds. Bonnie had 26 wounds. They both die. Word spreads and crazy fast. And um, actually, let's stop on the word. I have a little quotey quote from one of the officers that did the shooting. Okay. <clears throat> This was made by Hinton and Alcorn, who were one of the six. Each of us six officers had a shotgun and an automatic rifle and pistols. We opened fire with the automatic rifles. They were emptied before the car even got with us. Then we used shotguns. There was smoke coming from the car, and it looked like it was on fire. After shooting the shotguns, we emptied the pistols at the car, which had passed us and ran into a ditch about 50 yards down the road. It almost turned over. We kept shooting at the car even after it stopped. We weren't taking any chances. Wow. So they were like, yeah, just you get it. Yeah. <laughs> I just lost my words. I was like, you get it. They're just yeah, like, they, ah. they were going for it. Um, <laughs> so immediately a mob of people come, they get the dead bodies out and people from all over start coming and grabbing anything they can off body. Bonnie and Clyde, a woman cuts a piece of Bonnie's hair to take. They're ripping clothing off corner report. That was said nearly everyone had begun collecting souvenirs such as shell casings, sil slivers of glass from the shattered car windows and bloody pieces of clothing from the garments of Bonnie and Clyde. One eager man had opened a pocket knife and reached into the car to cut off Clyde's left ear. It was also said that a man was trying to cut off Clyde's trigger finger to take. And he, I believe, was stopped. And they're like, get the fuck away. Yeah, like, man, that, it's like, this is the finger that pulled the whatever. That's um, insane. Like, and then, you about know, of course, they're going to like sell all of it. And it's just so much. Yeah. And the, the small town they were in was a population of 2,000 where they died. And in hours, it jumped up to 12,000. That's Stores sold out of food. Insane. Everyone wanted to go to see where Bonnie and Clyde had just been killed. I don't think I realized that it was that big of a cultural. Like this. Huge. This is like the 30s, like. Virgin Kardashians. Of, well, I was going <laughs> to, I mean, I guess that's probably more, I was going to say like the white Bronco chase. You know what I mean? Like it yeah, just like yeah. captivated the world essentially for, for a time. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's crazy. it was insane to read that. Like the public was really obsessed with them and they kind of went, you know, remember there's no reality TV shows, so this is what they got. Yeah, and it's the Great Depression. They're not really getting any entertainment going on in their No, lives. they're not, and they're pretty fucking depressed. So it's just any distraction is a great one. So thank you, would Bonnie and Clyde. It would have been a lot um, different if they had, like, the Honeymooners back then or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe Bonnie and Clyde would watch that instead of Killing, and there wouldn't be all these deaths. Yeah. If Bonnie and Clyde had some good sitcoms and therapy, wow. Yeah. We wouldn't even I be doing this podcast. It'd I all know. be done. So they, I'm glad that didn't exist because I'd have nothing to talk about. Um, <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde wanted to be buried together, but they were not. I believe it was Bonnie's family that was like new. And where was the number? I know that her funeral, like so many people showed up. Like yeah. I want to say it was like 20,000. But Clyde got buried with Buck, right? Yes, Clyde got buried and they did a private funeral. So no one was there, but um, Bonnie's was quite the spectacle. And then their car, I think it was the woman that initially owned it, who was stolen from, went through the insurance and was like, that's my car. You have to give it back to me. And so they gave her the car and then she immediately turned around and sold it for like a shit ton of money because it has all the bullet holes and this, that. And I don't know if it's still there to this day, but at least within the last five years, 10 years, um, the car is on display in Prim Valley at one of the casinos on your way to Vegas. So I think it's at the, I don't think it's at Buffalo Bills. It might be at, yeah, it's there. And I was like, oh shit. Like I living in Vegas, that drive from California to Vegas, I pass Prim all the time. And I was like, I want to stop and see the car with all the bullet holes. That's really cool. Did you ever stop? No, I want to just get home. Yeah. (laughs) When I was a kid, we stopped there a lot, but I, I didn't know who Bonnie and Clyde was when I was really little. And there was a log ride and a roller coaster. And so I did that instead. (laughs) (laughs) as children i'm a child so that's the good old bonnie and clyde don't cut off your big toes ladies and gentlemen and go to therapy do you like to laugh geek out on music and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth if so you need to subscribe to one hit thunder together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Pass to Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Kelsey, I've just been assuming that you've seen the movie Bonnie and Clyde from the 60s. Have you never seen the movie Bonnie I've and Clyde? I've never seen it. You were talking about it earlier, and I was like, I don't want to say that I haven't seen it. I was going <laughs> to watch it this week, and I just got so busy with work. So like, it's fine. It's a very good it's, I know. I it's would a say classic. it's more. I would say it's more of an important movie than it is a, a particularly good movie. Like it's well made, it's interesting, it's it's you know, it did a lot of incredible things. It's it's kind of the kickoff of the new Hollywood in the late sixties into the seventies. But, um, I was going to ask you about some things in the movie, but that doesn't seem necessary. So I was just going to tell you that, you know, my, my experience of seeing that movie for the first time was in film class in college. And I've probably Mm. only seen it like three or four times since then. That's probably why I haven't seen it. Cause I didn't go to film college, film class in college. Yeah. See, you went to New York Mm. and just went right into the dancing. 
I just was <laughs> tip-tap, tip-tapping away, yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, Bonnie and Clyde has probably inspired more characters in movies than we can count. I feel like any time that you have a guy and a girl anti-hero, it immediately gets... Oh, it's kind of like Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, they're the bottom Bonnie and Clyde of the nineties. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, it's so. If you had to pick one, like Bonnie and Clyde inspired duo, ooh. Sometimes and if you want, really I'll go hard first. Questions you, oh, okay, I'm, you go first. Sometimes you throw really hard questions. So in. one of my favorite movies, and I, I feel like this probably isn't fully Bonnie and Clyde, but whatever. One of my all-time favorite movies is True Romance, uh, written by Quentin Tarantino with Christian mm. Slater. And that is that one to me is that one really captures what I think we we romanticize Bonnie and Clyde as because they really aren't killing innocent bystanders in that movie. They're just killing drug lords. So it's like. So that's the version that we want to believe that like Bonnie and Clyde were these misunderstood kids that got caught up in a crazy situation, but they were killing just the bad guys and like everything was okay. So I really Mm -hmm. love that one. I think that that's the big one for me. That's funny that you said that because that just gave me my answer and I'm going to go with a uh, Tarantino didn't direct it, but I believe he wrote it. I know. Yeah. Oliver Stone directed it and it's natural born killers. Of course it is. Yep. I mean, come on that, that movie's crazy. In the the pandemic, my dad and I watched every single Tarantino film, even if like we'd seen it, but there was a bunch, like I'd never seen this one. I'd never seen, what is it? Death Trap. Not Death Trap. Oh, Death um, Proof. Death Proof. Death Proof. Sorry. uh, Death Trap's a different movie, which is. Oh, you would love Death Proof. I'm like kind of. I've seen it. I've seen oh, yeah. it. No, no, no. I'm saying I hadn't before. No, no that's so what I'm saying. Watched... I imagine you loved it. That seems like oh, such a Gelsby movie. I loved it. <laughs> and from Dust Till Dawn, we watched like all of them. Oh my God. D- Death Proof was, yeah. And one of my As favorite. A stunt um, woman, like that is one like. One of my favorite stunt women, Zoe Bell. She plays herself, Zoe, in yeah. it. Um, She did all the stunts for Kill Bill and stuff. So I've followed her career, but. um. Oh, I absolutely fucking loved that movie. It was great. But yeah, Natural Born Killers we watched and I was like, and I can't believe how young Robert Downey Jr. is in it. And it's quite a crazy all over the place movie, but it's um, Juliette Lewis is phenomenal. I need to rewatch it. that crazy like, oh, she's so good in it. I saw it when I was a teenager and I didn't like it and I have literally not watched it for 20 years. So I feel like I need to give it a second shot. Like, <laughs> yeah, I would try it again. It's definitely an like out there it. film. So, yeah, I think I think just seventeen is a little too young to really process what that movie is saying and doing. There's, so I think, that, yeah, there's been a handful of movies that I watched as a teen that I was like, I don't like this, and then as an adult, I've rewatched. I'm like, oh, this is great. So, yeah. So, Gelsey, if people wanted to tell us about their favorite versions of Bonnie and Clyde in pop culture, where can they go and do that? <laughs> Yes, please tell us on Instagram. You can find us at Before My Time underscore podcast or on Facebook. Just search Before My Time. Let us know who your favorite modern Bonnie and Clyde duo are. And while you're here, why don't you just go ahead and give us a five-star review? Because that would be sure and swell. That way we don't have to go around and never mind. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Go to therapy, kids. Okay, bye.
Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.